Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. All right, so we're in Revelation um, 22, starting in verse 6. Let's pray, and then we will read God's Word. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for everything that you've created. Lord, thank you that you are the creator of all things. You are the sustainer of all things, and you deserve, you are worthy of our worship And Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the lamb that was slain, and he is worthy of our praise and worship as well because he redeemed us with his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to you, God. Thank you for allowing us to go through the book of Revelation and studying it. Thank you for... Thank you for everything that we've learned in this book, and please help us to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word, but doers as well. Help us to obey and keep the things written in this prophecy, in this book. And God, I pray that you'd fill us with your spirit as we look at your word today. Please open our eyes to see your glory. Give us the motivation that we need and the power that we need to live in holiness, in righteousness, in obedience, and in faith in you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. And then one thing that we have been doing, but maybe we have not been as, uh, um, I don't know, clear about it or or, uh, uh, explicit about it is, Whenever we finish reading the word, I say, this is the word of God, and then you can respond, this is the, uh, praise be to God. So I say, this is the word of God, and you say, praise be to God. And if you don't feel comfortable doing it, that's okay. You don't have to do it. Um, So I'm going to read verses 6 through 21. Praise be to God. Well, what do you say? Thanks be to God. I think we, we say, praise be to God. This is the word of God. Praise be to God. Okay. <laughs> and he said to me, these, are the trust, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, I'm the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, 
the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things. For the churches, sorry, to, uh, to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears these words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So we have come to the end of Revelation, and what a journey it has been. Uh, there were a lot of moments where I felt like I shot myself in the foot by choosing such a difficult book. And I am thankful for, for uh, your patience, especially on the Sundays that, that I just came and said, you know what, not ready to preach that passage, so <laughs> we're going to take another week. Um, but I'm really thankful. I'm really thankful that we went through this book. I do not regret having pushed through uh, because I feel like we have learned so much in the book of Revelation. I feel like we have been able to see a lot of uh, uh, see and learn a lot of things about God, about Jesus, about the church in the book of Revelation. And, you know, I had before this, I had never really looked at the book of Revelation in, in much detail. And, and so, you know, I found a lot of amazing surprises in the book of Revelation. And one of those uh, happy surprises that I found is that this book is extremely practical. I was not expecting that. I guess Every time, whenever I thought of the book of Revelation, I thought more like, okay, you know, we're just going to have to spend a lot of time deciphering uh, weird riddles and, you know, interesting visions. Uh, but one of the things that I found, and I hope that you found as well, is that this is a highly practical book. This book talks about who God is. It talks about who Jesus is and what he has done, but it doesn't just stay there. It calls the readers to action. It calls the readers to conquer, to be faithful, to obey God. And so um, it is fitting that this book opens and shares with, uh, sorry, opens and ends with this blessing. Uh, if you remember in, in chapter one, and, and I hope you remember because we just, well, you went through it last week as uh, uh you heard this reading of the book. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And then 
you go to the end of Revelation, Revelation 22, verse 7, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So this is a book that is highly practical, and it is a book that encourages its readers to put into practice the things that they have heard and that they have learned from this book. So we're at the end of the book, and John is just, you know, fitting a lot of ideas into his uh, epilogue, into, into the end of, of his letter. Remember that the book of Revelation is a letter to the seven churches. And so one of the things that all of the biblical uh, writers, all of the New Testament writers did, whenever they finished the letter, they would, you know, try to, to, to summarize the book. They would try to, to, to say some final thoughts, some of the things that they, they wanted the readers to remember. And so this is basically what John is doing. He is really cramming a lot of information in these last few verses. But these are the things that John really wants to emphasize and that John really wants to wants us, his readers, to remember. So if I were to summarize not just this last section, but, but the book of Revelation as a whole, in a few sentences, this is what I would say. Uh, I would say the book of Revela- in the book of Revelation, we learn that God is sovereign over all of his creation. Therefore, we must worship him. Jesus is Lord and Messiah, and he has conquered And he will return to save his people and destroy his enemies. And if you conquer with him, you will be with Jesus. You will inherit the new creation and you will dwell in the presence of God forever. But if you side with God's enemies, you will share in their fate, their fate in the lake of fire. So let me read that one more time. That's, this is a a summary of the book of Revelation. God is sovereign over all over all of his creation, therefore, we must worship him. Jesus is Lord and Messiah, and he has, he has conquered, and he will return to save his people and destroy his enemies. If you conquer with Christ, you will be with him. You will inherit the new creation, and you will dwell in the presence of God forever. But if you side with God's enemies, you will share their fate in the lake of fire. So with this summary in mind, as we look at this epilogue of the, of the, the book of Revelation, as, as I was looking at the, at the passage, and as I mentioned, there's a lot of information there. I thought that this one, um, this final section of the book of Revelation could be summarized or could be explained in six different truths that we must believe and that we should proclaim. So we're going to see six truths that we must believe and that we should proclaim to the world. So the first thing that we see, or the first truth that I want to highlight here, is that Revelation, the book of Revelation, is the inspired word of God to us. Revelation is the inspired word of God to us. These words, just like Jesus is described, these words are described by the angel as trustworthy, and true. Everything that we just read in the book of Revelation is the inspired word of God, and therefore it is trustworthy and it is true. This is not something that originated with John. This is not something that John made up, although he is the human agent and he is the one that 
saw the visions and then he arranged them in a literary way trying to communicate a point. This is ultimately coming from God. Because even though, think about it this way. John wrote this book, but he is writing out of what? Out of the visions that he saw. And so in that way, he is inspired by God in that he saw these visions. But he is also inspired by God in that even in the process of writing, God was inspiring him to write in the way that he wrote. And he was inspiring in the same way that he inspired the Old Testament prophets. If you read in verse 6, it says, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. So John is basically saying, this is, this is the word of God, along with the prophets that we, that we value, along with Isaiah and, and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and those prophets, this is the inspired word of God. This did not come from the angel that revealed it to John, right? The angel was simply the agent of God's revelation, but this was originated from God. This is the word of God. And so that's why at the end of, uh, almost at the very end of the book, because this is the word of God, anyone who adds to this or anyone who takes away from these words will suffer such a severe punishment because we cannot add or take anything away from God's words. We cannot Say, well, you know what, I, I don't like some of these verses, so you know I'm just going to scratch them off, or I'm just never going to preach on them, or I'm going to try to avoid them because I don't like this. No, this is the Word of God. Or I, can also, I, I also cannot say, well, you know, I feel like this book is missing a few things, so I want to add a little bit to it. Or, you know what, I think I, I received this new revelation from God, so I'm just going to start writing something new here. No, no one can add to what is written in this book. This is the word of God. Furthermore, the, the, the prophecy, this prophecy, this book, is not just a revelation for John, but it is for all of God's servants. Look again in verse 6. It says, he has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And so this is really good because it basically says that this revelation is for us as well. This revelation is for us as much as it was for John and as much as it was for the original readers. This revelation is for God's servants. It is for us. This revelation is a gift from God. And therefore, if, if we really believe that the revelation is a gift from God to us, then we should not ignore it or we should not neglect it. I have encountered multiple people. And in fact, maybe one of the reasons why I myself had not really uh, uh, dove into the book of Revelation is because, you know, I just felt overwhelmed by it. And I just felt, you know what, in the end, Jesus is going to return. In the end, you know, he's going to win. Jesus wins. That's the point of the book of Revelation. Let's just move on. And that was, I feel like maybe that was my attitude, you know, and thinking, you know, this book is just way too complicated. I don't want to get into the weeds. I'm just going to happily ignore this book or neglect it. But if this book really is the revelation from God to his servants, then don't you think that we should take it seriously? Don't you think that we should spend time studying it just as we spend time studying the rest of the books of the Bible? So that's, you know, that's my encouragement for you that, that you don't just 
stay with what we learn and then move on, but that you actually include studying this book along with the, the, all the other books in the Bible. Um, but also, if this is God's gift to us, if these words are truly coming from God, then we must heed the words written in it. If God is speaking to us, we cannot just ignore him, right? If God is saying something to us, we cannot say, okay, yes, thank you, God, for sharing that. Now I'm going to move on to something else. No, no, we really need to listen to these words and we need to obey these words. There is a blessing, the one that we just read. There is a blessing for the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And so that takes us to the, to the second point. If this book really is, the re, really is revelation from God, then worship belongs to God alone. What do I mean by that? Well, for, for reasons that are, that are extremely difficult for me to understand, John worships the angel, right? That, that is a really weird section in the book of Revelation to me because, you know, John, by this time, he had already seen the risen Christ and, and I feel like he understood a lot more, but, you know, he was human after all. But not just in this instance, but in, in, uh, verse, in chapter 19, verse 10, it, the same thing happens where he is so overwhelmed by the visions that he's seeing that he falls down and worships the angel that is delivering this revelation. But what is the response of the angel? I mean, why, why did John even include this in his book, right? If, I mean, honestly... If I had accident, not accidentally, but you know, if I had worshipped the angel and then the angel had rebuked me and said, no, do not worship me, worship God, I would probably not want to write that down in my book, right? I'm sure that many of us would try to hide that fact or, or you know, not, not really make a big deal about it. But John mentions it twice. And I think that the reason why he mentions that is because he is trying to communicate that God is the only one worthy of our worship. The angel that brought the revelation is not worthy of our worship. John the apostle who, who wrote the, the book of Revelation and, and, and who wrote three letters to the church and who wrote the gospel according to John, he is not worthy of our worship. The book of Revelation is very, very clear through, from the very beginning of it. Over and over, the book of Revelation is very clear that God is the only one who is deserving of our worship. He is deserving of our worship for multiple reasons, but I think that the reason that John is trying, trying to emphasize here is that he is the source of this revelation. And so I think there is a good encouragement for us there that, yes, even though we must treat this book with care and we should not neglect it and we should study it and keep it, we must be careful not to get caught up in our fascination with the images and the details and the time and, and the timing and all of this that we begin to worship the revelation instead of the revealer right so this book is really important we should spend time studying it but we should always remember that this book is coming from God and God is the only one who deserves our worship not the angel not the messenger not the book itself but God now along with that point of worshiping God there is another point that we cannot miss in this epilogue as, as, as well as the entire 
book of Revelation, and that is that Jesus is Lord and Christ. That is the third point. Jesus is Lord and Christ. The book of Revelation is extremely Christological. The book of Revelation teaches us a lot about who Christ is. And as I've been studying the book of Revelation, as we have been studying the book of Revelation, one of the things that keeps coming back to mind is, I don't know how many, or I don't know how it is that so many cults get away with denying the deity of Jesus. I don't know how it is possible that someone would look at the book of Revelation and not think that Jesus is God. The book of Revelation makes it so, so clear that Jesus is God. And so I don't know why cults like the Jehovah Witnesses or the Mormons or, or other, other cults in one way or another deny the deity of Jesus. When, when one, one reading of the book of Revelation will totally change your mind that Jesus is God. And I think, you know, ultimately, I think they get away with it because they neglect the first the first point that we talked about, that this book is a revelation from God. And so, and they also neglect the, the part of adding to the words of this book, right? Because we know that they have, uh, they have all sorts of different materials that they think are also inspired by God. Uh, but anyway, I don't, don't want to get too much into that. In our passage here, though, in the epilogue, we see a summary of this Christology. We see in verse 12, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. And then listen to what he says. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus is attributing to himself titles that are, meant, that are said of God earlier in the book of Revelation. Jesus is saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am God. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I am Lord. And not only is Jesus saying that he is Lord, he also says that he is the Messiah. Look at verse 16. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So he is using these messianic titles to show that he is the expected Messiah. This is a big deal because Jesus as Lord and Messiah, was, or let me put it this way, Christians in the book of Revelation, the, the Christians of these seven churches in the book of Revelation, they were being persecuted exactly because they claimed that Jesus was Lord and Messiah. The fact that Jesus was Messiah or is Messiah was offensive to the Jews because the Jews hated Jesus. The Jews did not like Jesus and the Jews were expecting a Messiah. And so the Christians would come and say, hey, guess what? Jesus is the Messiah. And this was extremely offensive to them. And it was also offensive to, it was offensive to the Romans that they would say Jesus is Lord because the Roman saying was Caesar is Lord. And so for a bunch of Christians coming and saying, actually, Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. So this is an offensive message for both Jews and for Romans. And this is why believers were being persecuted. This is the same thing that Peter says in his sermon at Pentecost in Acts, Acts 2. He says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God 
And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he is talking about Jesus, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The New Testament writers are not shy about proclaiming Jesus as Lord and Messiah. The New Testament writers are not shy about proclaiming Jesus as God. Christianity is an offensive idea to these other religions and political systems because they claim that Jesus is the only one in power. Jesus is Lord. And therefore, what does it mean that Jesus is Lord? If Jesus is Lord, then we must submit to him. But the world does not want to submit to Jesus. And if we proclaim that Jesus is Messiah, what does that mean? Well, it means that the only way to God is through Jesus. If Jesus is Messiah, then it means that he is the only one able to destroy the curse of sin and death in this world and bring the kingdom of God to this earth. And of course, this is extremely offensive for anyone who does not believe in Christ. But for us who claim to believe in Jesus, we must submit to him as Lord and King. We must uh, accept that he is the only one able to save us. And this, in turn, should lead us to worshiping Christ. Point number four, the, the fourth truth that we must believe and proclaim is that Jesus is coming soon. This is a point that it's, it's impossible to miss, especially in this, in this epilogue. Three times Jesus says, I am coming soon, right? In verse, verse 7, behold, I am coming soon. Verse 12, behold, I am coming soon. Verse 20, surely I am coming soon. Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, he promised that he would return. That has been the expectation of the church. Ever, ever since he ascended into heaven, the expectation of the church has been that Jesus will return. He will come back. And he is going to return to, uh, to fulfill, to, to, um, to bring and, and, and to finish God's plan of salvation for this world. He is going to come back to establish his kingdom forever. He is going to come back as a judge to judge uh, his enemies, to judge not just his enemies, but to judge everyone according to what they did. And so John is really, really trying to emphasize that here. John is really trying to motivate his audience by telling them that Jesus is coming back. If you think about it, John is, not, John is not so concerned with the timeline of Jesus' return. John is not calling us, the readers, to, you know, do the math and, and say, okay, well, if this happens here, then it means that, you know, that's uh, 
70 years and then… No, no, no. He's not calling us to do that. John is calling his audience to remember that Jesus is coming back soon. He is calling his audience to remember that Jesus, the return of Jesus is imminent. We don't know when it's happening, but he says this is happening soon. In verse 6, it says, He has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. In verse 7, And behold, I am coming soon. In verse 10, it says, And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of this prophecy, of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. So John is really trying to nail or to or to drill the fact that Jesus is coming soon. Now we have to remember the words of Peter in uh, I believe it's in Second Peter that Peter says, "Hey, there are people mocking and saying, "Hey, why hasn't he come back? Why hasn't why hasn't he fulfilled his promise?" And he remembers he reminds the people that. For God, one, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. And then he also reminds people that God is being patient because he wants more people to be saved. I found this uh, comment helpful from uh, one of the guys that I was reading. His name is Robert Wall. He says, John is not concerned to calculate the timing of Christ's parousia, that is his, his return, Rather, he is interested to motivate his audience to respond to Christ immediately and properly in the light of his soon and sudden return. The expectancy of Jesus' return should be one of the main motivations for us to live a righteous life and to live in faithfulness to him. The other authors of the New Testament have the same mindset. For example, James in James 5.8 says, Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So that image, just, you know, just picture that image. The judge is standing at the door. He is so close to coming that he is standing at the door. Jesus is coming as judge, and therefore as judge, as we will see in, in verse 12, he is bringing a recompense to repay each one for what he has done. And this brings us to the fifth point, which is obedience to God's commands and good works are essential to Christianity. Let me say that again. Obedience to God's commands and good works are essential to Christianity. If you were ever tempted to think that since salvation is through faith alone, good works are unnecessary or, or of no value, all it takes is one reading through the book of Revelation to cure you from that mindset. The book of Revelation makes it extremely clear that our works matter. The book of Revelation makes it extremely clear that our obedience to God is extremely important. The book of Revelation makes it extremely clear that when Jesus comes back as a judge, he will judge and he will repay each person according to what they did. The book of Revelation calls us to obey. This book is not written for our amusement. This book is not written so that we read it and say, okay, cool, that's a, that's a nice book. 
I'm, I feel good. I feel encouraged. Let's move on. No, the book of Revelation is an exhortation to conquer. And you know what conquering means? According to verses, uh, according to chapter 12, verse 11, verse 17, chapter 14, verse 12. Conquering means being washed in the blood of the Lamb. Conquering means being faithful to Christ. Conquering means obedience to God's commands. And conquering means faith, being a faithful witness to Jesus even unto death. The book of Revelation is calling us believers to be faithful to God, to Christ. To obey God's commandments. To be faithful witnesses even unto death. The book of Revelation is not saying, oh, that's okay. You know, you're already saved. Your name is written in the book of life. So go on and live your life free of worries. No, the book of Revelation is saying you have to conquer. To the one who conquers, I will give this blessing. To the one who conquers, he will receive this inheritance. The book of Revelation is very clear that those who conquer receive the inheritance and those who continue in sin, like, like it says here in verse 15, remain outside. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Jesus will repay everyone for what they did. Jesus requires obedience to his commands. If you call yourself a Christian, but you live in sin and disobedience, if you live a passive life or a cowardly life, or if you live in immorality, do not count yourself in. It's only the ones who wash their robes who will enter the city by the gates. They are the only ones who will be able to or who will have the right to the tree of life. And that brings us to the sixth point. How, how do we wash our robes? Well, we conquer through the blood of the Lamb. And this is the beauty of the gospel. We wash our robes in the blood of the Lamb. Remember when John was seeing the vision of the 144,000, and then that vision turned into a great multitude that he could not number, and then one of the elders asks John, do you know who these are? And John says, well, you know, you, you tell me. And so the elder says, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In chapter 19, it is said of the bride, his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So how do we reconcile that, right? How do we reconcile the washing of our robes in the blood of the lamb and the obedience uh, that we are called to? Or, you know, to put it in different terms, how do we reconcile the work of justification, that is God justifying us by his work, by the work of Jesus on the cross, and our sanctification, our obedience to him. Well, I think that the book of Revelation really uh, uh, 
makes these two concepts uh, uh, very compatible. It, it, it makes them, you know, it marries them together really nicely. We see in the book in the book of Revelation that it is the blood of the Lamb that that you know with what we wash our robes, and yet it says it is those who wash their robes. So you know you see a little uh, something interesting there, right? It, uh, the believers are called to wash their robes. You see the same thing with this passage that I read about the bride. It is the bride who has made herself ready, but it was granted to her. So, you know, there's this passive and active aspect. Um, it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And where, what is this fine linen? The fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. I think Paul puts this concept uh more or very clearly in his letter to Titus. In Titus, uh, I didn't write the, the chapter, but I think it's uh, either chapter 2 or 3. In verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So it is the grace of God that appears to bring salvation to all people, right? So we are saved by grace. We are saved by the grace of God, but it is that same grace that trains us to renounce ungodliness, that trains us to renounce worldly passions, to live self-controlled lives. And so I believe that the point here is you cannot live a sinful life, a, a life of rebellion to God, a life of unholiness, while at the same time you claim that you have received the grace of God for salvation. That is just simply incompatible. If you have received the grace of God for salvation, that same grace is going to sanctify you. That same grace is what's going to make you holier and holier. If you claim that you have received the blood of the Lamb, and yet your robes are dirty, your robes are filthy, then again, have you really received the blood or have you really uh, washed your robe in the blood of the Lamb? Well, there, there would be a, an incongruency there. But the good news, the gospel, is that Jesus calls us to receive this saving and sanctifying grace freely. The good news is that Jesus calls us, he encourages his, the, the readers of this book and says in verse 17, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. The good news is that salvation as well as sanctification are a free gift from God. This passage is saying, are you thirsty? Are you tired? Are you overwhelmed with sin? Do you feel unworthy? 
Do you feel defeated or burdened or skeptical or confused? It doesn't matter how you feel. The invitation of Jesus is, come. Come and take this water of life without price. That is the beauty of the gospel. That is the message of the gospel. That the blood of the lamb is freely available to anyone who would come and ask for it. That's why, that, that's why John is so, um, makes such a big deal about salvation being for all the nations. Right? Because in his, in his Jewish background, salvation was only for them. Messiah was only for them. But that's why John is so clear about saying, no, this, this 144,000 army is actually a multitude of people from all nations, language, and, and, and peoples, and tongues. Because this water of life is available to everyone who comes to Jesus and asks for it. And in conclusion, everyone who has received this water, everyone who has the hope of eternal life and eternity with Christ, that is the bride, the people of God, everyone who has this hope calls for Jesus to come. Right? That's what it says in verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. And then a prayer, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. This is our prayer. We want the Lord Jesus to come. Why do we want him to come? Because when he comes, he will finally judge this world. And if we truly are resting in the work of Christ, if we truly have washed our robes with the blood of the lamb, then we have nothing to fear. When Jesus comes, he will establish he will finally establish God's kingdom. When Jesus comes, he will finally create a new heaven and a new earth without the curse of sin that this world has. When Jesus comes, we will finally be able to see him face to face and worship him and live our lives to the fullest, being, being the, the creatures that we were meant to be, being kings and priests to God, being in his presence forever. That's why we want Jesus to come. And so we pray with John, we pray with the bride, we pray with the Spirit. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's, let's pray. I hope that, uh, hope that you have enjoyed the book of Revelation as much as I have. And on the one hand, I feel good that, well, on the one hand, I feel kind of bad that, you know, I didn't give you as much detail as there is in the book of Revelation, but I think that would have taken us uh, maybe another year, and we like to move a little bit faster than that. But I do encourage you to study this book more. I have a couple of uh, books that, I, that I'd be happy to recommend if you would like to look more into it, but I really hope that through this study of the book of Revelation, we have been able to see that God is sovereign and he is the only one deserving of our worship and that God is in control. That it doesn't matter how things look like here on earth, God is seated on his throne in heaven and Jesus is at his right hand 
and the souls of those who have been killed, the souls of those who have not uh, worshipped the beast, are reigning with him in heaven. And we have hope that Jesus will come. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the book of Revelation. Thank you that this is your word. This is your inspired word. Thank you that we got to study it. Thank you that we got to uh, read through it several times. And God, I pray that we would be doers of the word, not just hearers, that everything that we have read and learned, that we would put it to practice, that we would be faithful to you, Lord Jesus, in light of persecution, in light of opposition, that we would be faithful witnesses to you, Lord Jesus. You are the truth. that we would be obedient to your commands, God. That we would wash our robes in the blood of the Lamb. And that we would be ready for the imminent return of your Son, Jesus. Lord Jesus, come, we pray. In your name, amen.